You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Amen. Take your Bible. Find the Gospel of John as we continue our journey through the Word of God, especially and particularly over the last several months through the Gospel of John. We have started on chapter 1 and we are in chapter finishing up chapter 20. And so as we think about that in the next week, we will be finishing the Gospel of John. That's exciting to me to think that literally we have uh, gathered on a Sunday morning on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. We have read every word of the Gospel of John and we have walked through every word of the Gospel of John as a church. And so that's important because the most important thing that we do as a church is to gather and open up the Word of God as a body of Christ. And so, saying that, look if you will at John chapter 20, beginning there in verse 11, we are looking at the appearances of Jesus Christ to Mary Magdalene, the ten disciples, and then the eleven disciples. Thomas was not present at the first appearance of Christ, but in the second he was. And so as we think about those words, and before I read, think about this. When Jesus died and was put in that tomb and he stepped forth from that tomb, there was still great confusion. But then when Christ appeared and began to share and even temporarily gave the, the spirit to the disciples, they were able to see and to understand. So I'll allude to this in a, in a moment, but in Acts chapter 2, when Christ did ascend to the right hand of the Father and he did send the Spirit, that made right and gave the means that all could see and to understand very clearly. And so my prayer is today is if you are here today and you truly don't trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would not be in that state of confusion any longer and that you could clearly see who Christ is based on what he has done. From confusion to clarity. John chapter 20 beginning there in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Christ had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw 
Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom is it that you are seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will then take him away. And Jesus said to her, can you imagine hearing these words? Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. We know from Matthew's gospel that she fell at his feet. Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said these, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And I I think that's just a a wonderful statement. He he comes before the disciples in fear and, and confusion and disarray. And he says, Peace. And then he says, Go. Go and do as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And we had said these things. He he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 22 is of the picture of what is about to happen in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit under the old covenant worked in a, in a different way in the lives of the redeemed. In the old covenant, the new covenant, there's so many differences. The old covenant always pointed to the new covenant that would be fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, we saw King Saul had the Spirit of God upon him. But because of his disobedience, the Spirit left him. God took the spirit off of Saul and he placed the spirit on David and we see the spirit coming but being taken away. And the old covenant was based on works and it was based on the law. But the new covenant in Jesus Christ, it's a new covenant, Jeremiah says. And it says that we will be a a personal covenant and a personal relationship. So even here, right before the Spirit is received by the disciples, we see Jesus breathing that Spirit upon them so that they could for a brief moment see this is Jesus. Because without the Spirit of God, no man can see who Jesus is. That is why it is so important, church, that we pray for God to send the Spirit in a way to move in the hearts and the minds of people. Without the Spirit of God, no one would ever acknowledge or see there is a God. 
And then he says in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I'll talk with that in just a moment. Then verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So this first visit was with the ten. There was twelve. Judas is gone. Thomas was not here, so he's to the ten. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with him, so the other disciples told him. Can you imagine this conversation? We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see with his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Hashtag doubting Thomas. Bet there's somebody here today going, I didn't know that's where that came from. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, again, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Thomas answered him. And he said these words. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Lord, we thank you for those words that as we have walked through the entirety of this book over so many weeks, that from the very beginning to the very end, it has been written so that each and every one of us may truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by our believing that we may have life. I pray this morning we go from confusion into clarity. Let us truly see you, Christ, for who you are. Let us be as Thomas as we walk from this congregation today that we could truly say, Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. And this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. From a theological apologetic standpoint as we get uh, into these appearances, in some circles there's a doubt of the resurrection. Now, that's, you know, sometimes when you study theology and you study what the world believes, we might be sitting here going, what? Who, who would not believe in the resurrection? There, there are several things, false teachings. There's a lot of folks out there that don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. All those false religions do not believe that Jesus is God. And so I say that because sometimes when we make a stand that Jesus is the only way, from a political standpoint, we, we get challenged by, well, what's the big deal? 
You know, why can't the Buddhists and the Muslims and the Islam, why can't all the other isms out there, why can't we just all agree that there's a God and that we all can just, you know, why, why is it that you think, well, i tell you why. No other God has been risen from the dead. In any religion that you encounter, no one has come back from the grave and ministered and walked around. So all false religions do not believe in the resurrection. Now to us, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? So now you can understand why if you do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not believe in salvation. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation. So when Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that is a very individual message. There are no other religions other than what we have in Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation. And so the resurrection is a big deal because all the religions out there and everyone even in Jesus' time will deny that Jesus was risen from the dead. They would say he lived and that he died, that somebody took the body. He was not really died. He, he got out of the tomb and he's living with Hitler and Elvis right now in some country somewhere. I said, that's a joke. We still think Elvis and Hitler are alive. But he really died. And he really rose again. And he is really the only way to God. Romans 4.25. Just so that we understand very clearly as a church what this looks like. Romans 4.25. For who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There is no justification if there's no coming from the grave. There is no sacrifice unless there's been a death and a resurrection. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the great joys I have of being a pastor is what I call pastoral relationships, discipling, counseling, whatever you want to call it. It's just walking with someone through the messes of life. We're basically all a mess trying to walk through this life and follow Jesus, right? And so one of the joys I have is it doesn't matter what mess we're in, Jesus rose from the dead. That's our power. That's our victory. When he rose from the dead, he defeated what Satan could do to us. He de- there is no temptation that has overtaken man that is not common to man because Jesus rose from the dead. I can do it. I always say this. I can do it because he has done it. If there's no resurrection, there's no power, there's no hope. So there's our hope. The tomb is empty. If we believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Literally, his resurrection was the affirmation of what he accomplished that day on the cross. I've used this story. I heard a pastor say it, and he probably heard a pastor say it, and the Apostle Paul probably really said it. That Satan thought he had won. And Satan and all the minions have thought they had won. Can you imagine me and the little dominion that had to come tap on Satan's shoulder and go, I got really bad news. He's alive. He's not in that tomb. 
Maybe we need to try that today. Write on a, write on a little index card, he's alive. And put that in your pocket. Next time old Satan starts nipping at your heels, why don't you just remind him of that? We don't have to become full-fledged Pentecostals. But maybe we just need to remind him, listen, he's alive, Satan. You have no authority, no power, no control because Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he sent the Spirit upon me and I am his. When he did that, he affirmed what God sent him to do. He atoned for our sin. He paid the debt. He conquered death. We just sang about it. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. That is what that resurrection meant. His resurrection is what gives believers the power and the purpose to live. Just as Jesus impacted Mary and the ten and the eleven, and he said, go and, and believe and live, that is the same impact that should be had in our lives today. From confusion to clarity. Let's look at Mary and what is going on. Now, we do not have time because I'm trying to, I'm taking a bigger piece of John chapter 20. We don't have time to go back and look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see John is not trying to give you everything that has happened. John is trying to focus on some major details of what have happened. So just chronologically, there's been a lot going on. The women come to the tomb. They see it's empty. Some of the women stayed. It sounds like Mary left. John and Peter come. John outruns Peter. They look in the tomb. They go back. It sounds like the other women went back. And so here we have Mary. That was real clear, wasn't it? So if you read the Gospels, there's other things going on. Mary was not alone originally, but it sounds like now she's alone. Peter and John have come. They have left. The other women that were there, it sounds like they have left. And so here we have Mary. The woman that Jesus had cast demons out of. And I, I said last week, when, when we feel like much has been forgiven, there's much devotion and love. When we realize the ugliness of sin and what Christ has forgiven us of, we seem to cling to his feet a little more. Everyone is gone but Mary Magdalene, the woman that had demons cast out of her by Christ. And notice that as she is there, she has stood and she is weeping outside the tomb. And she, she looks inside the tomb and she sees these two angels in white. And again, I think there are times it is so clear what the Old Testament is teaching us about Christ. Sometimes I think we stretch it trying to find things in the Old Testament that talk about Christ. But I think, don't miss this. So one of the Gospels talks about the left and the right. So it would have been if you walked into the tomb, he wasn't laying this way. It makes it sound like he was laying that way. One of the Gospels said the angels were on the left and the right. So you would have had to come in and there would have been the angels to the left or the right. And Mary stood in there, stood in there, and she stooped in there, and she could see the grave clothes that we looked at last week, and she sees two angels. One of the commentators said, as I was reading, I don't remember who exactly it was, but it was something that I've been aware of previously. Think about the angels standing over the holy of the holies in the Ark of the Covenant. Two angels over the cherubim, over the holies of the holies, the Ark of the Covenant. What a picture. Just as Jesus tore the veil from top to bottom, 
And he did away with the Holy of Holies as far as who can enter into. We have two angels. And think about it, where the tomb of Christ was, it's like the Ark of the Covenant. And those two angels are, are looking over the holies of the holies where Jesus Christ came up from. And those angels are there. And notice what Mary says is in all of her confusion. She saw the angel standing there and they said, Woman, why are you weeping? And she just said, Listen, they've taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Naturally, there's going to be confusion. You know, the whole idea of all of these people, what is going on? We know something's going on. I, I know that Jesus was someone different, that Jesus is someone special. It's like in our world today. We believe that Jesus is something special. We know that he is unique, but yet there's so much confusion over who he is as truly God and Lord. And all Mary could say is, where have they taken him? And then we see in verse 14 some clarity. Just so you'll know how sermon preparation goes, we, we, we take the Bible, a good sermon preparation, I should say. You take the Bible and you just pour your life into the text itself. And, you know, if it's written in the New Testament, you take the Greek, you look at all the words, and then you, you've got different commentaries and word studies. And so if you've ever been in my office during the middle of the week, it's a mess. Just stuff everywhere. And, and, and so we read a lot of different things. And one of the commentators I was reading said, as Jesus was standing behind Mary, I thought this was good. I, I love when, when I can just really put myself there. And, and so Jesus, uh, Mary is standing there looking at the angels. Where have they taken my Lord? And one of the commentators said, wouldn't it be kind of neat to think about it? One of the angels said, turn, turn around. And you see Jesus. And then you hear Jesus say these words. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I don't know if she was crying. I don't know if she just was confused from a standpoint of physically. I think it's probably a lot of things going on. I think emotionally she was a wreck. I think spiritually she was unable to see Jesus for who he was. Only Jesus can make the blind see. Why are you weeping? Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbanai. The word means teacher. It means a supreme reverence teacher, master, leader, teacher. One that you would naturally sit up under and, and, and hang on every word that they said. And so naturally, Matthew's gospel, I believe it's Matthew's gospel, said she immediately clung to his feet, which would have been a, the right uh, position to be when you came into the presence of a teacher. Verse 17, notice what Jesus said. So now we see this confusion beginning to come into clarity. Verse 17, do not cling to me for I have not ascended to the Father. Don't read too much into that. I think sometimes we try to read, there's two dangers. Some of us don't read enough into anything. 
And then the other danger is we read too much in everything. Sometimes we just need to take a deep breath and step back. Somebody says, well, is he ascended? He's not ascending. Is he ascended? He's got to ascend and go do this, and he's got to come back. Take a deep breath. I wasn't there. But the most simplistic explanation to this is I'm not the Jesus I used to be. This is what she was thinking. Oh, my goodness, where have you been? Please do not ever do that again. You scared us to death. My goodness, we got to come on home. We got to figure out where it, what has happened. What happened to you? What's going on? And Jesus says, woman, do not cling to me. I'm not that Jesus anymore. I'm your redeemer. But I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but I will. In 40 days, I will, but you cannot cling to me. I'm not that Jesus anymore. Amen? He is a Jesus that died on the cross and paid the debt for our sin and supernaturally arose from the dead. I think he would have had a, a glorified-looking Shekinah glory about him. Obviously, he would not have been beaten and swollen, but I think all that's going on there, the best of my ability when I see that, we, we, Mary wanted the same Jesus that she hung out with for those three years, and Jesus said, listen, I'm not that man anymore. I came so that I could become your Redeemer. I was always God and I'm still God, but I have not yet ascended. I'm not that Jesus anymore. And notice these words. You want to see some clarity here. Notice these words of clarity. Do not cling to me, for I am going to my Father. I'm not yet ascended to the Father. Verse 27. Go to my brothers. Now, earlier in the gospel, Jesus referred to them as servants and, and disciples, brothers. It's the first instance where we see where Jesus is saying that there's, not only am I in a different relationship with you, but all that are mine are in a different relationship with me. My brothers. She would have picked up on that immediately. For I go to my God, which is your God, and I go to my Father, which is your Father. He's not, he's my Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But because we are brothers, I'm going to my God that it becomes your God, and I'm going to my Father, which becomes your Father. That would rock the world of Mary listening to the terminology used there. Everything is personal. Everything talks about us. Everything is about we. Don't cling to me because I haven't sent it to the Father. Because of that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a relationship with the Father, but because of my relationship with my Father, under the new covenant, now you have a relationship with the Father. I have a relationship with God under my, the new covenant, my death, burial, and resurrection. Now you have a relationship with God. Isn't that wonderful to know that we have a relationship with the Father and we have a relationship with God? I think we forget that sometimes. 
I think we look at God as some distant God that doesn't know us and, you know, always use a goofy example in my brain about being in a blimp looking into a football stadium trying to find somebody. And it's just a big mass of people. No, I have a personal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because Jesus came out of that tomb. Real and dynamic and personal. I don't need any other mediator than the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to get us excited, by the way. That'd be a good time to take a pause and run around and shout for a little bit. Romans 8, 14, and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. How do we know if we're sons of God? If we're led by the Spirit of God. If we've been born again, we've been born again into the family of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's Romans 8, 14, and 15. We have received the spirit of adoption. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. I bet she did. I bet she was screaming all the way down the street. I have seen the Lord. And then Jesus appears to the ten. Notice their confusion. They're in the upper room. The doors are locked. They're fearful. I can't even imagine emotionally. I was trying to list all the emotions I think they would be going through. I think there's fear, there's doubt, there's great love. Don't forget the love factor there. Thomas gets beat up for being doubting Thomas. I think Thomas was this way because he loved the Lord so much. He wanted to believe, but he wanted to believe. Show me. So we have the disciples, they've already seen the risen Savior, but they, they're, they're just so confused about who he is. And they're in the upper room. The doors are locked. The doors being locked for the disciples were fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, I think he walked through the door. A lot could be said about a locked door. You lock the door because of fear of man. I don't need a door. I am the door. Remember? Can you imagine sitting around? What's going on? I'm so fearful. I'm so afraid. I, I think there's probably a lot of us in here today. We're fearful and we're afraid and there's confusion and we don't have any clarity about anything and you're just crying out. And I would say just look up because Jesus is standing right there. And what's the first words that Jesus says? What does he say? You've got your Bible. What does he say to them? Peace be unto you. You're familiar with Philippians chapter 4? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is one of my favorite little pastoral verses. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reason be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Can you imagine they were anxious? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Listen to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. What in the world can take confusion and turn it into peace? Nothing but Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're searching for peace and certainty and tranquility and you're not looking for it in Jesus Christ, you're never going to find it. 
You're going to be running around like a, a spinning top. You're anxious, you're worried, you're fretful. But until you rest solely in the peace that passes all understanding in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to continue to lead this life. Now back to John. Jesus said, peace be unto you. Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Very quickly, we have the confusion. They wanted to believe. They just didn't know what to believe. They were fearful, afraid, locked up. Now we see some clarity. Jesus standing in front of them. Here's a sermon within a sermon, if you want to write this down. Jesus stood in front of them. Number one, he gave them assurance. Peace be unto you. That's what the gospel brings, assurance. We must have assurance of our salvation, that our sins have been forgiven, and that we have that peace that passes all understanding that only Christ can give. But then he gives them a commission. Peace be unto you as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Now preachers love that verse because it's not about just me resting in Jesus. It's about what Christ is asking me to do. The Christian message is not one about just sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's about sitting at the feet of Jesus and understanding other people need to be encouraged with Jesus. Christianity is not just me and him. It's me and him and others. Now, I've got to get me and him right. I've got to enjoy me and him. But the Christianity is not just about me sitting in. Wouldn't that be kind of neat if it was just about being with Jesus in the upper room? They'd still be in the upper room with him. Don't leave. Stay up here and let's just worship. I, I'm going to put on my praise team, my praise CD, and we'll just sit here and worship all day. I didn't, come up, I didn't come back from the grave. I didn't do all this. I didn't save your soul from hell for us just to sit here and enjoy me. I want you to go share this love with humanity. Go share this relationship with humanity. That's the commission. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed the Spirit on them. We have assurance, we have commission, we have the empowerment to go do it. You don't have to be in this upper room. Unlock the door. Go live life. Go live for me. Go live for my honor. Go live for my glory. And then verse 23, we see the authority. One of those tricky verses, but it's not really tricky if you just understand what's going on. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Why do I say that's authority? Because this is what this verse means. Here's the gospel. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Christ, then your sins are forgiven. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, world. If you do not repent of your sins, if you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is or what he came to do, your sins are not forgiven. That's authority. I don't make the rules. I'm glad I don't. Sins are forgiven when Jesus Christ forgives those sins. Sins are not forgiven when we don't ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. When we come to Jesus Christ on God's terms, our sins are forgiven. When we come to Jesus Christ on any other terms, those sins are not forgiven because we haven't come to Jesus Christ on the right terms. That's our message. That's a great message. What's the answer of humanity? The forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. If you believe that, you'll have a relationship with Christ and have peace with God. If you do not believe that, your sins are not forgiven and you will not have peace with God. 
It's a snippet of what is about to come in Acts. It is that already and not yet. We have a little snippet in the upper room where we'll be fulfilled in about 40 plus days in the book of Acts. And one of my favorite verses is Acts chapter 16, verse 7. And it talks about the disciples turning the world upside down. These men have turned the world upside down. Acts 16, 7. From the upper room with doors locked in fear and trembling. Once they recognize who Christ is and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they turn the world upside down. What a great testimony. I make a motion we change the name of our church. Amen? All in favor? Turn the world upside down, Baptist Church. Do I have a motion? Do I have a second? All in favor? Amen. All those Labor Day vacations being for a treat when they come back. Turn the world upside down, Baptist Church. When Jesus is a big deal in your life, you can't help but turn your world upside down for Him. When you're living for Jesus Christ, I think people just come up to you and go, what is so different about you? Jesus is the difference in my life. It's not winning people to Christ or working yourself to death thinking you got to please Christ. It's just that if you love Christ so much and you understand what Christ has done for you and you understand the need of humanity is to meet Christ and to experience his salvation, you can't help but to make a difference. why it's important you come every week here you never know what we're going to vote on from confusion to clarity the 11 now we see Thomas verses 24 through 31 we always gang up on doubting Thomas but just think about it Everywhere you see Thomas's name in Scripture, we don't have time. He's wanting. He's a, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. I think he loved him so much, and his greatest desire was just to please him. He's a doer. Nothing wrong with doers. He just wanted to please the Lord so much, and he was just, you know, the idea that he he really believed in who Christ was. He was an all-in guy. He didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, okay, so let's, let's take it easy on him. He was an all-in guy. All he wanted to do was please Christ. And all he said, he's risen from the dead. He talked to us. Can you, I always think, a, a hundred times this week, I thought, gosh, I wish I could have been there. Could you imagine the disciples telling Thomas what happened? And then he came to the door, and we don't know how he got in. Did somebody give him a key? I don't think so. But he was just standing there. He showed us. He looks great. Has a little glow about him, but he looks great. Of course, they are Baptists. I know the early church was Baptists because they're still in the upper room after Jesus told them to go do something. Amen? They hadn't had their quarterly business meeting to vote on it, so they're still in the upper room. Thomas says, I will. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. I will not believe until I can touch him and to see it. What did Jesus do? He showed up again. He knows Thomas because Thomas is one of his. And he looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, come touch, come see, come feel. Is that not a wonderful picture of the perseverance of the saints? 
When Jesus called Judas, he knew Judas was going to betray him. When Jesus called doubting Thomas, he knew Thomas was one of his. And when he appeared before Thomas, he knew Thomas's doubt. He knew Thomas's quirks. He knew Thomas's passions. He knew everything about Thomas. And he looked at Thomas and he read his heart and he read his mind. Jesus wasn't in on that meeting with the other disciples. And he articulated what Thomas was thinking. You need proof. Here I am. Come and see. And we have one of the most theological proclamations of who Christ is than anywhere in the New Testament. Thomas put his fingers in his side. He looked at his hands. And Jesus said to him in verse 27, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, circle this. And Thomas said to him, My curios, my theos. My Lord and my God. He is claiming the deity of Jesus Christ. It is not like we would say, we should say, oh my God, good Lord. No, no. he is saying, if, 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 when we stand up, when, when every knee shall bow with heaven, it's going to be curious theos. He is claiming he is Lord and God. From confusion to clarity. It goes on to say that other miracles were done, but these things were not necessary. We look there in the text. Jesus did verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which is not written in this book. And what, what, what John is saying, there was a lot of things that happened. Is he talking about the 40 days? Is he talking about before? It's probably both and. 40 days being after this and before this. There are a lot of things that have happened. There are so many miracles that took place. But this is what John is saying. This is great news for us. We don't need any more proof. If you're sitting here today and you're under conviction of the Holy Spirit and you're questioning who Christ is, there's no more proof that needs to be laid out there than exactly what God has let us know through his word. The days of more miracles are over. The day of the supernatural is over. Jesus is saying, all of that that took place is behind me. The only supernatural you need is when the Spirit of God opened up your heart and your mind to who Christ is and you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Him and you cry out, Lord and God. And then He leads us with this Crescendo, the, the summary of the entire book, the big picture in bold, highlighted from confusion to clarity. By these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Notice what is taking place. You want to talk about the gospel and understanding everything that Jesus had said in John's gospel, those discourses, those miracles, those I am statements, everything that Jesus has said is wrapped up in this one verse so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, who he is, the Son of God in the flesh, is the Christ, what he came to do. Christ, the anointed one, to pay the penalty for those sins. He is the Son of God who sent him. And by believing what we must do may have eternal life and we see what changes once we respond. Who he is, what he came to do, who sent him, what one must do, and then how it changes our life. That is the gospel. When we understand that Jesus Christ is the one that came to pay the penalty for our sin so that we may have life and we begin to give that life, that is why John said, that is why this book was written so that people could understand who Christ is. That is why Jesus said, I am sending you to tell the world who I am, who sent me, what I came to do, how it affects their life, what is it they do when they meet me. That is the gospel. All the things of John's gospel point to us recognizing who Christ is. And then it radically changing our life. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I mean, we say that, it's almost, we almost say it too much. I need to come up with another way of saying it. Do you know Christ, the risen Savior? Have you met him? Have you repented of your sin and understand that he died and rose again for your sin so that your sins may be forgiven so that you can live life to its fullest? Living life to your fullest is doing things for the Lord, but as you live life to the fullest, you're just glorying in who the Lord is. That's one of the most precious things I have. I look at my life and I just wonder what in the world is going on from the standpoint that I have a relationship with God. I can't get over the fact that I do have a relationship with God and I just am beside myself thinking, how is all of this possible that God would give me my relationship with him? That's the most important thing in our life. It's not our success. It's not what we're doing. It's not how much money we make. It's not our accomplishments. It's not what we want our future to have. It's who we are in Christ right now. The Westminster Catechism said the chief end of man is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever, just basking in the glory of who we are in Christ and then living that life where everybody else could recognize it. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and we're still going to see the, the struggles before the Spirit comes. They do leave the upper room, but then they just go right back to doing what they know to do, fishing. We'll get ahead. Confusion to clarity is only possible when we truly see Jesus Christ for who he is. I don't know what else to tell you. You're confused. You're fearful. You're anxious. 
you're worried, all I can tell you is see Jesus for who he is. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we do thank you for the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ found in the precious pages of the Bible. We are grateful that you died on that cross, that you were placed in that tomb, that that tombstone was rolled away and that you entered alive and victorious, that love is one, death is dead, and that Christ, you conquered it all. As we sing in just a moment, search our hearts and mind for where we stand with you. Let today be the day of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.